And let's look in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I share a message entitled Secured Ministry. As I was sitting here, I thought, well, it might be a better title to say a remembered ministry. Uh, I don't know what the title is. I'm just going to preach out of a passage here, the Lord, laid on my heart. Amen. You make up your own title this morning. But anyway, 2 Peter, I want to read the whole chapter, and we're going to come back and look at verse 11 as our text verse. And I love what uh, Peter is challenging the believers with in this chapter. Simon Peter, servant and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him uh, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath uh, forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by the putting you in remembrance, knowing that surely I must put off this, taber this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunning devised fables, but we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. Uh, when there came such a voice to him... From the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, uh, we heard, and uh, when we were with him in the holy mount. Uh, we all have also a more sure word of prophecy, uh, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for these precious things that we read in the Word of God this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you might put us in remembrance of these things and stir us up and challenge us, Lord, to live a life that's on fire for Almighty God. And uh, Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here this morning who's not saved, that they might realize how precious the promises of God are. And uh, Lord, how real eternal life is. And Lord, that they might come and receive Christ as their Savior and be gloriously born again today. Uh, I pray for every believer this morning, uh, that we would be uh, challenged and stirred in our faith. Uh, Lord, that we might have a desire to communicate that faith to others, that they might be saved. And uh, Lord, I just pray that because of the time we spend together in church today, uh, we'll be able to leave here feeling and knowing that we've uh, met with the Lord. We've experienced that God was here and that he ministered grace to our hearts. And so, Lord, speak to us. We're listening, and we long to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 11, says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An entrance is ministered unto us, a secured ministry, a remembered ministry, if you will, in reference to what God has given us and spoken to us. Peter is concerned as he's writing this second epistle of Peter, uh, he's concerned about the believers forgetting the promises of God. That's why he starts out in the chapter back in verse 3 and 4, down down through uh, verse 8 and 9, he's dealing with the promises of God. You remember old preacher years ago said the future is as bright as the promises of God. But yet, many times what we do is we forget about the promises of God. And Peter's reminding the believers at this very point, things that should be precious to them and things that were life-changing to them that they needed to hold on to. The problem was, if they forgot those things, they were in danger of turning away from God or falling by the wayside. And I think uh, what is, um, I see trends in Christianity is we're forgetting the things that were precious to us. And as a result of it, we're seeing people falling by the wayside. And um, we need to remember the things that God has secured for us in living our Christian life. Matthew Henry, I was looking, reading his commentary on this portion of scripture, and he said this. He says, we need to put in mind, uh, we need to uh, be put in mind of what we already know to prevent our forgetting it and to improve our knowledge and reduce all to practice. And so uh, much of what the Christian life is, is uh, uh, being lost and being disregarded of what is important to practice or how I'm to live my Christian life. And it's because of the fact that we have forgotten the promises of God. And when we forget the promises of God, the practice of living for God goes out the window uh, because we have no drive, no desire, no understanding, no commitment, no zeal whatsoever uh, for living for God and serving God because we've forgotten the things that God has promised that he would do in our life. And Peter is trying to remind uh, the children of uh, believers in Christ uh, that they need to remember these things. Matthew Henry went on to say this, we must be established in the belief of the truth 
that we may not be shaken by every wind of doctrine, and especially in that which is the present truth. And so people today are, are looking for truth, they're desiring to hear truth, uh, they're wanting to acknowledge truth, but it seems like believers are abandoning truth. They're abandoning the doctrines of the faith. And so Peter says, you need to be reminded that God has brought you into an entrance uh, that's ministered unto you abundantly. You have a life that is full because of all that God has promised to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And literally, Peter's desire in writing this is that they would mature and grow in their faith. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, as Peter would close this epistle, he says, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. And so the whole thrust of Peter's desire is that they would grow and they would mature in their faith. It is not sufficient. For a Christian to be satisfied and being stagnant in their Christian life. Because when you become su sufficiently stagnant and you're satisfied with that position of sufficiency in your stagnation, you're starting to go backwards and you're moving away from God. And it will not take long before your practice of living the Christian life will break down, and as it breaks down, uh, you literally will fall away from the Lord. And Peter says, listen, you need to be reminded. There's some things you need to remember. And as I was reading through this passage, there was three words that jumped off the page in verse 12 of 2 Peter 1. He says, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance. The word put. And then I was reading in verse 13, he says, to stir you up into putting you into remembrance. I circled put, I circled stir. And then in verse 15, he says, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance, and I circled have. And that's what my message is this morning, is put, stir, and have. And so that's another title for the message you can think about, Amen. And so the message will be clear, but the title is very confusing. Amen. <laughs> so it's about maturing in Christ. Uh, the things that were important in years gone by are important in the Christian life today. And I'm afraid that we have forgotten how significant and how important they were. And we're trying to live our life as a Christian, abandoning those things because we forgot about them. And then we wonder why we're struggling in our faith. So let's look at a few things here this morning. First of all, the first point is in verse 12, instruction. He says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you into remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. And so put, he wanted to put them in remembrance. How would he do that? through instructing them, for, by guiding them, by teaching them the word of God. And uh, he says, you always have these in remembrance. He says, though ye know them. Many times, if you've been saved a, a while, when the preacher's preaching, the topics that he may be hitting on are not things that may be new to you, but rather the things that you already know. But the problem is you're not living according to those things. And so he says, I'm not giving you anything new. I'm just trying to put you in remembrance 
of those things that I'd shared with you before and what you lived by before. And the interesting thing that he's writing this to the first century church of the things that they were abandoning. How much more do we need to be not aware of that in 2020? And so put instruction. Notice here's some things in verse 16 of when you think about instruction. He says, for we have not followed cunning devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I see the first thing is this instruction is to abandon fables. And uh, there is so much garbage on the internet. There is so much stuff out there that is being written in books and magazines that is absolutely not true and is contrary to the scriptures. And so for the Christian, the thing to learn and to be reminded about, putting ourselves in remembrance of, is get away from the false doctrine. Get away from the fables. Get away from those things that are just generated our fleshly desires and fleshly things and start living according to, once again, what the Word of God has to say. Abandon fables. He said, we didn't come to you in fables. And what are fables? First of all, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 4, Paul helps us to understand this a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4, foolish questions. 1 Timothy 4, um, Birgit and Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which in faith so do. Uh, we're living in a day and time where uh, it's, it's, it's established as being notable and noble for you to question everything that is of solid ground from the past. There's nothing wrong with asking questions, but this is talking about generating questions in reference to fables and endless genealogies that just create more questions and more questions and more questions. Uh, always studying, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so foolish questions, they're just some questions just aren't worthwhile wasting your time to try to answer. And I found this over the years when people come up with really kind of off the wall questions, you answer the question and then they're not satisfied. They want to, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, well, wait a minute. Faith comes in this thing somewhere. There is a trusting of what God has so stated somewhere. And if all you're going to do is try to approach faith or religion or walking with God or living with God based on just endless genealogies and fables and endless questions, you will never come to the knowledge of the truth. And so you have to have instruction that is solid according to the Word of God. So foolish questions. You need to get away from them. Uh, you know, every once in a while I'll get somebody, who, I had somebody comment on one of my pastor's notes on the Internet. And I post them every week that I put them in the bulletin. I post them on there to try to be an encouragement. I had somebody uh, question and give a derogatory statement about it or whatever. You know what I did with this statement? I deleted it. I ain't wasting my time with that stupid stuff. I remember years ago, I was uh, dealing with doctrinal problems. I had a guy who was an author of a book, 
And I said something about his book and how it was in doctrinal error. Next thing you know, he's sending me these emails wanting to get in this debate on the Internet. You know what I did with his emails? I deleted them. It will not, it will not do you any good to try to get me caught up into all kinds of endless genealogies and fables and questions upon questions upon questions that are not sincere questions, but it's rather gener to generate an argument. It's not, it's not worth my time. And so Paul tells us, watch out for these things. Peter says, you need to be reminded of these things. You need to hold to the doctrinal truths. We did not use fables to try to present to you who Christ was. Well, First Peter, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4. Uh, Paul also deals with ungodliness. Abandoned fables that develop foolish questions and abandoned fables that develop ungodliness. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And so Paul establishes this. It is more important for you to live a godly life than it is for you to debate foolish questions. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible still deals with modesty. The Bible still deals with holiness. The Bible still deals with surrender. The Bible still deals with us serving the Lord, living a life of serving Christ. And, uh, you know, and some people think they're so intellectually strong and so spiritually superior because they come up with questions just leads to ungodliness all the time. Well, you know, if you want to be strong in the Lord, Peter is saying this, if you want to mature in your walk with God, you want to be secure in the ministry that God has given you, you need to abandon fables that just develop foolish questions that lead to ungodliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16, says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so there's nothing good that comes out of just constantly getting in uh, to these arguments and debates about questions that just generate another question, that generates another question, that generates another question. No, we're to st stay away from those things that generate to ungodliness, abandon fables. You say, why do I want to do that? Because I want to be secure in my faith. I want to be secure in my ministry. I want to be secure who I am in my relationship with Christ. And so we need Peter saying this, I'm putting you in remembrance. I'm telling you this is how you ought to live your life. These are the promises of God, and that's how you live your Christian life. Present trend, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 4, says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. And Paul had warned that, wait a minute, watch out, present day trends will always cause those to turn away from the Lord because they're not wanting to know who God is. They're just wanting to debate to show off how intellectual they are. In uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, Titus 2, 12, says, uh, verse 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity 
and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so there is a change, there is a difference in an individual's life and acknowledging the fact that we are bought by the blood of the Lamb, we are a different people. You back up in Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Present trends. It's alarming. I read different statistics about trends in the church and trends in Christianity and how uh, people are justifying living a life that is ungodly. Living a life that years ago that absolutely was clear and accepted as being ungodly and Christians moved away from it. And Christians live a life of surrender and separation unto their God. But today the things that were taboo in the unsaved world are acceptable in the saved world this year, uh, now in this year we're living in. And we say, well, wait a minute, what's, what's the problem? We have forgotten the promise of God. We have forgotten the commands of God. We have forgotten what God has so stated. And Peter said, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things. You know, you, you already know these things. But the problem is they're not, you're not living these things out. And as a result of it, you're moving away from your God. And so abandoning fables. We see also in our text in verse 16, uh, um, yeah, verse 16, we see the embrace power. In uh, verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunning devised fables. So he acknowledges where the instruction came from and where they need to be focused. But then he says, When we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't live our life based on the flesh, but we live our life based on the reality of who Jesus Christ is. The power of God to change a life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And why is it in 2020 we say, well, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And some things are new, but not all things are new. No, everything in a believer's life is, is new. And we have the power of God to live that life out because of the presence of Christ in us. He is the redeeming lamb. And uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And so there is a redeeming lamb of God is Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes a difference. It is not movements, it is not trends, it is not organizations, it is not man, it is Jesus Christ who gives us the power to live a life that is holy. And I think we need to get back to the basics of the reality that Jesus Christ is our source of strength and is our source of victory, and he is the boss, he owns everything, and we're to surrender our life completely to him. Peter said, I'm putting you in remembrance. I'm instructing you. Remember these things. Not only that, but he's the ruling king. Paul tells us that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 15, it says, Which is in times past he show who is the blessed and only potentate, king of kings and lords of lords. And that's Jesus Christ. 
There is no other king. There is no other means. There is no other savior. That's why he is known as and declared and revealed as the eternal God. Titus said that we were looking for that, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he is the eternal God, redeeming lamb, ruling king, and eternal God. And so we need to embrace the power that we can live our Christian life based on the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And, uh, and so we have things that God does in our life that changes us, and we need, may already know it, but we need to be reminded about it because we have a tendency to move away from living in the power of Christ and Christ alone. And uh, you'll be praying for me Thursday night. I'm preaching out at Keswick for the men's fellowship out there. And God's laid a message on my heart. And uh, you pray for me because I need the power of God to flow through me to minister God's grace as I preach. I need the power of God to flow, flow through me every time I stay in this pulpit and preach. We need to live our life as a Christian every day as we get up. We're getting up and deciding that we're going to surrender ourselves and live in the power of Almighty God. Embrace the power of Christ. So many believers say, well, I can't change. I can't become something. I can't live for God. Well, wait a minute. You need to embrace the power of Christ. He is still on the throne. He's still the king. He's still the Lord. He's still the Savior. His Holy Spirit is still abiding in us. We're still the temple of God. And if the Spirit of God could work in a mighty way in years gone by, bless God, he can work in 2020. So Peter's just giving instruction. I'm putting you in remembrance. I know you know these things, but you need to be reminded of these things. So abandon fables. Embrace power, then experience glory. It says in verse 16, for we have not followed cunning fables. That's abandoning fables. In verse 16 of our text, he says, when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's embracing power. And then the experiencing glory. He says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I mean, we need to see a view of Christ that we haven't seen before. Man, I want to challenge you to get signed up for a prayer conference. Our desire is that we might see Christ, that we might experience God, that we might be able to have a fresh look into the reality of all that Christ is in our life. And we need to behold his glory. We need to experience the glory of God. You know, at the, at the manger, when Jesus was born, the angels were crying in heaven, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. They experienced the glory of God when they knelt at the manger of Jesus Christ. I think of Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they saw his countenance change. And they saw the manifestation of the glory of the Son of God there. How we need to see Christ and experience his glory. I thought about on Mount Calvary, and uh, Jesus would hang on the cross the amazing thing is this, in John chapter 17, Jesus declares that it was now the time for the Father to glorify the Son. And he was talking in reference to his death on the cross of Calvary. When we come to the cross of Calvary, oh, we sang that song this morning, Love Carried the Cross. 
Uh, it was the love of God manifested to us as Jesus Christ hung on that cross to die for our sins. The glory of the Almighty God is seen in the face of Jesus as he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Experience the glory of God. How can we turn our back on the Son of God who died on Calvary crying out for God's grace and mercy to be extended to us? How can we live apart from him? How can we decide that we don't want to surrender our life to him? How can we live a life in rebellion and disobedience to him? Amen. When I thought about Mount Olives and Zechariah, the prophecy is when Jesus comes, his feet are going to touch down on Mount Olives and split it in two. I like what author Pink said. He said this, the first time Christ came to slay sin in men, the second time he will come to slay men in sin. I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be a pleasant time on this earth when Jesus Christ comes again and the wrath of Almighty God is poured out. We need to experience the glory of God. Billy Graham said this, Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was thought as a doomsday preaching. But not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever-brightening beam in a darkening world. Jesus Christ is coming again, and we need to see him in all of his glory. We need to enjoy the reality of the of majesty of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is just saying this, put, I'm putting you in remembrance of the things you already know. And church, I'm challenging you this morning. I'm trying to put you in remembrance, trying to instruct you from the word of God that, wait a minute, the things that the church used to be is the things that it ought to be. Where so many people are trying to redefine the church and trying to make the church something else. I want you to hear on Wednesday nights, I'm going through a four or five week series on the church. We need to understand what the church is, how it functions, what is our involvement, what is our part in the church. And the reason why we need to go over those things is because people forgot what the church is. Well, I thought that was good preaching. Amen, preacher. Appreciate that. <laughs> Peter said, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things. We need to remember who God is and the promises that he has brought to us. So there's instruction. I see there is motivation in verse 13. It says, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. I mean, when we remember the things of God, it ought to challenge us to be excited about the things of God. When I think I got saved, I was thinking this morning of when I got saved. And I thought of, I was thinking about my life before I got saved. And I thought, my, what a wicked person I was. In the world standards, they would consider me to be a nice guy. But in God's standard, I'll tell you one thing, I was vile and I was wicked. When I think of what God did in saving my precious soul, I'll tell you one thing. I'm glad that God will put me in remembrance. He can stir me up in remembrance of what he did in my life. Uh, we can get excited about the things of God and about the Christian life if we remember all that God is. Notice verse 17, he says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. We see the integrity of Christ. 
need to remember the integrity of Christ. You need to remember that, wait a minute, there is none greater, there is none deserving a worthy uh, of praise and worship other than Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, in uh, verse 11 through 14, uh, the revelation reveals the honor that is given to Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, in verse 11, says, And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels ran about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, which are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. I'm just saying this, we can be motivated, we can be stirred up when we remember the integrity of Jesus Christ. I remember years ago I had a woman get mad at me because of me yelling and hollering while I'm preaching. She got mad. She told me, she said, I don't understand why you got to yell and holler in the pulpit and do all that. I don't see that kind of Jesus. I said, lady, I said, God saved me. He put a fire in my bones, and it ain't going out. Amen. I want to stoke the flames. I want to stir the coals. I don't be reminded that of the integrity of Jesus Christ. There is none like him. He is from the beginning to the end. He is Alpha and Omega. Uh, he is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He was in all points tempted yet without sin. He offered the love of God and the grace of God when he hung on Calvary to save our wretched soul. And no one could condemn him. No one could be just in, 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 in accusing him of falsehoods or uh, immorality. He was a man that was a man above man's who was God Almighty in man's flesh. The integrity of Jesus Christ stirs me up. Amen. Somebody ought to get excited about the Lord. I see the identity of Christ. Amen. <laughs> For he received from God the Father honor and glory. Here it is. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son, the identity of Christ. It's a glorious thing to be able to read when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved son whom I well please. What a glorious thing it is to be able to hear on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. The identity of Jesus Christ. God does not hide who Christ is. He was revealed to all that man can be saved. And I'm thankful the identity of Christ is clear. I see the impression of Christ. This is my beloved son, and it says, in whom I am well pleased. The impression of God in reference to his son to us. The impression of God is that he is pleased with Jesus Christ. So it's very clear to understand that if I'm not walking with Christ, God's not pleased with me because he's pleased with his son. 
And so he did, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And so if we want God's pleasure upon us, then we have to walk closely to Jesus Christ because he's always pleased with his son, the impression of Christ upon us. Lee Robertson said this, Nothing but encouragement can come to us as we dwell upon the faithful dealing of our Heavenly Father in centuries gone by. Faith in God has not saved people from hardships and trials, but it has enabled them to bear tribulations courageously and to emerge victoriously. And so Peter is saying this, I want to stir you up. I want to get you excited. Well, if I can stir somebody up this morning, get them excited to get on fire for God, Stop questioning about, well, do I have to do this or should I? How come everybody else is doing this and I'm not allowed to do this? Stop questioning God. Just get excited about serving God and do something for him. Amen? I remember when I went to Bible college. Different guys were wanting to go, well, I heard when you went there, man, you got to wear a tie and a suit coat. A lot of Bible colleges today don't require the students to wear a coat and tie. I think it's wrong. I think they should wear a coat and tie. You say, you're crazy. No, I'm not. I'm just saying this. There ought to be a standard of respect and decency. We have lost decency in our government. We have lost decency in the church. We have lost decency in our homes. What is wrong? I've had people say, I, there was kids that didn't go to camp a few years ago. Then the reason why they wouldn't go to camp was because they couldn't have their cell phone when they were at camp. I mean, Really? The things that are in the world, is it that degrading to you to give up the world? To walk in the holy step with the eternal Son of God? Why don't we just get excited about certain? Do you realize this? That the holy God who is the creator of the universe has extended grace to say, I'll use you. The problem is we're so puffed up in pride, we think we're a benefit to God on our own, and God doesn't need any one of us. What extended grace we experience through Christ. It all stirs up. Be excited that God would use us to go out and talk to somebody how to be saved. Be excited that God would use us to go out and maybe drive a bus or go on the bus route and pick up kids. Be excited about the fact that God would actually use me to work in junior church and teach the word of God. Or God would use me to be a Sunday school teacher. You, I don't care what the ministry is. You put a tag on it. I'll tell you one thing. It ought to motivate you and stir you up with the reality that the eternal God has decided that he would use you. So Peter says, I want to put you in remembrance. He's going to instruct them. He said, I want to stir you. In remembrance, he wanted to motivate them. And then the last thing is have, in verse 15, possession. Possession. He says, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Possession. Having the precious reality of all that God is. Divine revelation. Verse 19 of our text says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Divine revelation. 
you ought to be grateful and thankful and excited that God has revealed to you who he is. You realize there's multitudes, thousands of people around the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. There's multitudes right here in the United States that have not been revealed to them who Christ is. The divine revelation of God, that God would reveal himself to you, that he would reveal himself to me. Possession, Peter's saying, after I'm gone, I'm, my prayer, my desire is that you'll have these in your possession, these promises of God, the reality of all that God is, the reality that God has revealed himself to us. I don't want you to lose those things. I want you to hold on to those things. And the thing that will keep us stirred up, the thing that will keep us headed in the right direction is the reality that we possess the divine revelation of all that God is. There's a secure interpretation in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. How we need to be excited about the fact that we possess a full Bible. Not portions of the Bible, a full Bible. In every verse, I don't care if it's Genesis or whether it's Zechariah or whether it's Amos, or whether it's Revelation, every verse in this book agrees with every verse in this book. And every verse in this book has to be studied and interpreted in light of what the other verses have to say. Why? Because we possess in our hands the Word of God. And the holy inspiration in verse 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I heard a preacher the other day on the radio. He's talking about the Word of God, and he said that God supervised the writing of the Bible. Now I felt like calling the radio station and telling him, get off the radio. God didn't supervise the writing of the Bible. God breathed out the word of God. And men wrote down as God breathed out his word to them. We need to remember what we have, what the blessings is, that we possess a divine revelation, a secure interpretation, and a holy inspiration that I can pick this Bible up and every time I preach say, thus saith the Lord. If I didn't believe that, I could not pick this up and say, thus saith the Lord. I'd say, well, hopefully God said it. No, this book is precious. It's my possession to know who God is. Everything that I can comprehend about God is found in this book. And it has to be the rule. And it has to be the guide. It has to be the establisher of your life. Peter said, my prayer is that once I'm dead and once I'm gone, you'll have these things. What are those things? A divine revelation, secure interpretation, and holy inspiration. Charles Spurgeon said this. Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. I've seen a lot of people say, well, I've heard people say, you know, well, I've been saved a long time. Oh, I know that's in the Bible. So you outgrew the Bible. You don't need to read it anymore. You don't need to study it anymore. You don't need to adjust some things in your life anymore. 
A.W. Tozer said this, the word of God religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select just a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. You say, well, I already know those things. I know, that's why I preached it. Because Peter said, I know you already know these things, but you need to put in remembrance. You need to constantly be instructed the word of God to remind you of who we are and what we have in Christ. And then we need to be stirred in remembrance. I never get tired of hearing the good old past. I remember Dr. Malone said years ago, men preach on the uh, familiar texts that are in the Bible. And he was talking about John 3.16 and all that. And he said, now people already know them, but they need to be reminded about them. And so stir us up by remembrance of all that Christ is. And then possession. Never forget what you have as a believer in Christ. The world doesn't have it. They don't experience it. They're not aware of it. But you have it. And so hold on to the things that God has given us as holy possessions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I'm thankful that we can have a remembered ministry. We can have a secure ministry. We can have a ministry of hope. We can have a life that is challenging and full and vibrant and exciting. It's because of the fact we remember the promises of God. I pray, Lord, if someone here this morning needs to be stirred in their life, they need to meet with you, Lord. I pray they come in the invitation, get those things right. Pray if someone's here not saved, Lord, I pray they would come, that we might be able to show them how to be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's